The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with an innovative attorney that is working on the front lines of telemedicine. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Dan Fryer, founding partner with Fryer Levitt. Dan, welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for making the time. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I am an attorney, and specifically my focus is on healthcare law regulatory and transactional. I've been practicing healthcare law for about 21 years. My office is in New Jersey, but we practice in about 40 states. And it's been a very interesting time in the last few years in healthcare, and I'm happy to be part of this. Why don't you also give our audience a 10,000-foot overview of Friar Levitt? Sure. So Friar Levitt, we have about 24 attorneys now, and we're unusual insofar as all of the attorneys practice exclusively healthcare law. And when I say healthcare law, a lot of people confuse that to mean medical malpractice, either planning for defense work. We don't do any medical malpractice. We do exclusively healthcare regulatory work, meaning we're evaluating transactions for regulatory compliance. We do transactions themselves, corporate work within the healthcare industry. We represent physicians, ambulatory surgery centers, hospitals, imaging centers, sleep centers, any healthcare provider. And we also do a lot of work representing independent and chain pharmacies in some of their regulatory needs as well. Great. Thank you for that. For those that are listening that may not be familiar, provide for us, if you will, a brief history of telemedicine and how you've tracked it. Sure. So we've been involved with telemedicine. I mean, I've personally been involved in telemedicine since I began practicing law 21 years ago. Telemedicine has been around since Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone because when a doctor gets on the phone with a patient and asks the patient questions and renders a diagnosis or suggests treatment, the doctor is practicing telemedicine. We don't think of it as telemedicine, and until very, very recently, doctors were not paid for phone consultations, so it, was, it wasn't considered to be a separate form of medical treatment. It was really part of the office work, but it was nonetheless telemedicine. And telemedicine has evolved, obviously, since Alexander Graham Bell, one of some of the earliest forms of real telemedicine, non-telephonic telemedicine, were developed by NASA in the early 60s during the space exploration when astronauts were actually monitored. They were put on monitors so that the stations on Earth could monitor their vital signs, heart rate, blood pressure, etc. For a relatively long time, at least a couple decades, radiologists have been engaged in telemedicine in the form of teleradiology, where a study is done, say an MRI or a CT scan, that study is then transmitted through high-definition methods to a radiologist, and the radiologist would read the study. This type of telemedicine has been around for a while, and it's important because you may have a patient who's in the emergency room in a rural hospital who has an MRI, and there is no radiologist available, so they utilize 
a service that may have a radiologist anywhere in the country reading that study and then reporting back. And then modern telemedicine, through the use of video consultations, telemonitoring, remote monitoring services where a monitor is placed on a patient and it's read by that person's physician, not in real time, but say after the fact, through some recording device. Modern telemedicine includes video conferencing from one physician to another. It's not necessarily just patient to physician. It can be physician to physician. It could be a family practice physician in a rural area communicating with a specialist in a city. And now, even most recently, it's really evolved into devices that can be used by patients at home to monitor patients remotely and then report those findings back to the physician. It's analogous to when a patient uses a thermometer to measure their temperature and then reports via telephone to the physician. That's a form of telemedicine, but needs a monitor might be utilized like a blood oximeter machine may be utilized and then plugged into a computer or a PDA and transmitted remotely to a physician who then reads the studies. So it's taken many different forms, and I'm just kind of summarizing it from a high view. No, that's great. I appreciate that. What are the professional liability issues with all these new practices that are coming about? Well, one of the dilemmas in healthcare is that technology almost always outpaces the law. We saw this in some of the advances in genetics. The law just didn't keep up with it. Now we're seeing it with respect to advances in telemedicine. There's no doubt that we have the capability of performing really, really high-level, high-quality, efficient, low-cost healthcare services through telemedicine technology. The issue is that many states have not recognized that and have made it difficult and placed hurdles on performing technology. And the hurdles include the fact that there is risk associated with physicians and other providers who perform telemedicine. For example, if a physician were to rely upon a patient's remote monitoring of that own patient's blood pressure, if the remote blood pressure machine wasn't used properly by the patient, or if that machine malfunctioned, or if that machine wasn't FDA compliant in some way, and as a result, the physician misdiagnosed the patient, the patient could hire a lawyer and the lawyer would uh, potentially sue the physician, and there is no protection under the law for the physician who practices telemedicine. The physician is going to be held to the same standard as if the patient had walked into the office. Until the law evolves, this is a risk that providers are going to have to deal with and either accept or reject. Perfect. What can you tell us about the current state of the legality of telemedicine as it relates to parity laws? Okay, so when we talk about parity, what we're talking about are laws that have been developed by the states, because the federal government really has left it up to the states, laws that govern whether or not third-party payers, such as Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance companies, have to pay for telemedicine as if it were in an in-office face-to-face visit. In some states, there are very strong parity laws, which means that it's third parties, including insurance companies, for example, have to pay for telemedicine, have to have codes that they use and pay for in order to reimburse physicians for engaging in telemedicine. Other states have either no law regarding parity, which leaves it up to the insurance companies, and as you can imagine, many insurance companies will not pay for telemedicine because they don't like to pay for, for much if they can avoid it. And some states have laws that even imply that it's not required. So it's, it's even worse than not, not saying something. So the, really, the laws vary from state to state. There's a patchwork. There are studies that have been done. It's, no, I don't think any one person knows 
can recite the law of every state because every every state has has slightly different laws. There's no two states that have the same that have the same parity laws exactly and or the same telemedicine laws. Do you think that telemedicine will be the impetus to blow up those parity laws, at least for telemedicine or maybe for a particular group of people like the Medicare population, or is this going to be a long road to hoe? Yeah, I think some states have already started evolving towards parity laws, recognizing that telemedicine is important. States like Alaska, for example, have pretty strong parity laws. As you can imagine, if you're a patient in the middle of Alaska, you need to have access to physicians, and telemedicine may be the only solution. So states where there are isolated populations are more likely to adopt telemedicine laws that have parity rules. Whereas a state like New Jersey, which is densely populated, you can find a physician, you throw a rock, you don't hit a physician's office. The parity laws are bad in New Jersey. The telemedicine laws are very, very rudimentary, not very developed. So I think with some states, it's going to develop and evolve faster than others. But there's a momentum building in favor of telemedicine, and I think it's definitely here to stay. To play on that, I interviewed Dr. Roy Schoenberg yesterday. He's the CEO of American Well. He has two quotes that go along with what you're saying about how fast we're moving here. He says, telehealth is becoming the fastest adopted healthcare benefit in American history. And then further, telehealth is moving forward at the pace of consumer electronics, not the traditional pace of healthcare. So the implementation of telemedicine and telehealth, consumers are wanting it and needing it. Are we ignoring the laws? Are states ignoring the laws? Are companies, all these innovative companies, ignoring the laws? Or are they just going to the states where they're friendly? I think that it's a combination of both. I mean, certainly in states where the laws are friendly to telemedicine, it's an easy sell to providers. Because remember, some providers are conservative and their legal counsel will advise them not to be involved in certain practices. It's a lot easier to sell technology in an environment where there are few legal impediments. But I do think that we're seeing telemedicine creep up, and even in states like New Jersey, where I'm from, and other states that are really unfriendly to, to telemedicine, we're seeing telemedicine crop up in those states because I think that at the end of the day, the provider wants to do what's in the best interest of the patient. You know, Medicare has actually come out with a a program called chronic care management, which is a form of federally sponsored telemedicine. And what chronic care management basically does, and the states really have to permit it. There's, no, there's, there's nothing the states can do to prevent that because it's a federal program. So what Medicare has done is they've created a CPT code to pay physicians to provide 20 minutes of non-face-to-face care to their Medicare patients who have two or more chronic conditions. So Probably 60 to 70% of a physician's practice, if they have Medicare patients, 60 to 70% of those Medicare patients have two or more chronic conditions. Medicare hasn't really defined very carefully what a chronic condition is. It's basically a condition that's deemed to last at least a year or until the patient's death, whichever comes first. That's how they actually define it. But if the physician signs a patient up for the chronic care management program under Medicare, then the physician or the physician's ancillary providers like practitioners, physician assistants, or even medical assistants can contact the patient, spend some time on the phone with them, review the patient's charts, make sure the patient is complying with drug protocols, taking their medications, checking their blood pressure, checking their vitals, making sure that they're okay. And if they spend at least 20 minutes a month per patient, they they receive reimbursement. And 
for the average primary care physician, Medicare has anticipated that the reimbursement can be as high as, on average, around $220,000 a year, which is significant for most primary care physicians, very, very significant. So this program has started to, you, you see companies now coming up that are, that are developing technology to implement chronic care management for physicians. And I'll finish, I'll just mention one thing about chronic care management. The purpose of chronic care management is Medicare has recognized much of the Medicare population that have two or more chronic illnesses. When they see a doctor once or twice a year, what happens between those visits often results in very expensive hospitalizations. And by communicating with the physician's practice once a month, making sure that the physician's practice is monitoring their condition, monitoring their drug intake, Medicare feels very strongly that they're going to be able to avoid hospitalizations, which are very, very expensive. And so the point of chronic care management is not only to improve the quality of care, but to reduce cost. Because chronic care management, by definition, is a non-face-to-face visit, it is also, by definition, telemedicine. So it's an interesting program. It is an interesting program. We've interviewed five or six of those uh, providers that you've talked about on our show. And I think that if I were a provider, if I were a doctor, I definitely wouldn't want to go it alone. I would want some infrastructure like a chronic care management program with telehealth involved to implement that. And I'm sure that's part of the clients that you direct and help in telehealth. One of the challenges of chronic care management, a lot of the CCM companies consider themselves basically technology companies. And while CCM requires technology and it requires a call center with people who can talk to patients on the phone, the only way these companies can be successful in implementing CCM is if they actually go into and integrate into the doctor's offices, at least for a time, to teach the staff and get the staff involved with the process. And a lot of the CCM companies really have good technology, but not very good implementation. So this, the program hasn't spread and grown as much, I think, as Medicare had, had hoped it would. Right. Well, physicians are busy with at least a handful of other things that you probably know about with Meaningful Use and ICD-10 and all the other regulatory things that are going on right now. Given all that we've talked about related to the issues, the legal issues with telemedicine, is it worth it for physicians to look to adding telemedicine to their practice? Yeah, I think depending on the type of physician. Certainly CCM, if it can be done properly, is is worthwhile for at least primary care physicians and maybe even some specialists. I think that if done properly, telemedicine not only generates income from the billing of CPT codes in states that have parity laws, but it also strengthens the relationship between the physician and the patient, increasing the likelihood of retention of the patient. And frankly, it also increases the likelihood that the physician is going to get the patient back into their office for treatment. And even though one might think, well, doesn't that increase the cost of healthcare? I don't think it does. I think that what increases the cost of healthcare are hospitalizations and when the patient has acute problems that could have been avoided if there had been more closer attention paid to the patient. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities for physicians with telemedicine, with remote monitoring, and we deal with practices that are in rural areas, and rural medicine is a totally different animal. You've got patients that could be 50 miles from a hospital, and that hospital doesn't have a lot of the resources of an urban hospital. You really need to have telemedicine in those situations just to provide minimum levels of care. Absolutely. Given where you've sat the last 20-something years and watched this evolution 
As you look forward to the next one to three years, what do you think is in store from us from a legal standpoint regarding telemedicine and telehealth? Well, a lot of states have pending legislation. I think you're going to see an evolution towards telemedicine, not away from it. The law will continue to be relatively slow compared to the actual implementation rate of telemedicine. But I do think that slow as the law tends to move, you're going to continue to see this evolution towards telemedicine and permitting it. And eventually, I think telemedicine, my prediction is at some point in time, and it may not be for a decade or more, telemedicine is going to become completely ubiquitous, part of the way we receive care. Care rendered at a hospital will become obsolete, potentially, other than for very acute problems that require an emergency room or a intensive care unit. But most care can be done out of the patient's home with various devices that monitor the patient, deliver drugs to the patient, and with maybe the help of a nurse practitioner. So I think we're moving in that direction, and it's interesting and fun to see. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that little look at the future. That really is interesting. And before we let you go, where can people go to learn more about the work you guys do at Friar Levitt? We have a website, www.friarlevitt.com. That's F-R-I-E-R. L-E-V-I-T-T dot com. You can learn all about us. On that website, we have articles. We have a discussion of our areas of practice. As I said, we do a lot of work outside of telemedicine, of course, in more than half the states. And happy to talk to anyone who's interested in calling. Dan, it was so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Dan Fryer, I'm Joe Lavelle. And we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.